0: Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 25, and we're going to be covering Exodus 22 through 24. And as we talked about last time, you have to know the Ten Commandments because it fleshes out the other 603 that we'll talk about. For instance, as we walk into chapter 22, let's just hop in and grab some of these. Here's one that will impact us very soon when we get to Exodus chapter 32. Look at verse 20. It says, He who sacrifices to any God other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. And so this is going to be very significant when we get to Exodus 32, because this is what was supposed to happen to Israel when they violated this command. This actually violates multiple commands, one through three. And What God is going to do is amazing. Instead of killing all of Israel, like he should have, he's going to relent. Moses is going to intercede and he's going to teach Moses about his character. And Israel will learn this for all time that a God that could have destroyed me, didn't. And then we're going to pick up a term called loving kindness. And that's when that word is going to start to increase in its intensity. And it's going to become very meaningful to Israel, and it will, if not has, become very meaningful to us because the New Testament word for this Old Testament hesed, loving kindness, is grace, and grace is definitely important to us. In fact, you won't go anywhere without a church having that in its name, and it's by that and that alone, which we are saved. So the goal as we walk through these chapters are to see how all of these laws refer back to the 10. So let's go to chapter 23. I find this interesting in verse nine, it says, you shall not oppress a stranger since you yourself know the feelings of a stranger, for you were also strangers in the land of Egypt. God is teaching Israel how to be sympathetic and empathetic towards other people. You were once a stranger, now love strangers well. You would see the spirit of do to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule fleshed out in all of this. Look at verse 10. It says, you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beast of the field may eat. What God is teaching here, not only will they have six days where they will work and rest on the seventh, like verse 12 would tell us, there also should be a sabbatical year. After every six years, you shall let the land rest. And this was to provide for the needy. And it was a way of trusting God. And we have to mark this because this will come back up because we want to see if Israel ever obeys this and if God will hold them accountable to it. And he does. It's going to blow your mind when you find out how. And we'll talk about that closer to the time of exile, to the time of when Israel goes into exile. But here in verse 12, it says, six days you are to do your work. This is pointing back to number five, the Sabbath. Six days you are to do your work. And on the seventh, you shall cease from your labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest. You see that theme, going back to rest. Why do I have you not doing any work on Sabbath? Because one, you're mimicking me and what I did for creation. We're going back there. And two, my purpose for you was to rest. So you will get a small snapshot of what it means of what we're going back to one day a week and a whole year after six years. And then we get a Jubilee year. We'll talk about that as well. After 49 years, seven sevens, then everything that has built up until that point, slaves, property transfer, if you put things on the lot, it reverts back to the original owner. So all of these things are going to be built on that number seven. The reason I wanted to get through chapter 22 quickly is because we have to spend a lot of time familiarizing ourselves with the feast. And so there are three major feasts that we need to know about, and we'll see those here in verses 14 through 17. The first feast you'll see in verse 14, it says, three times a year, you shall celebrate feasts to me. So we have to learn these three major feasts. We got to know these. The first is the Feast of Unliving Bread and Passover. So that'll be one feast together. And all of these feasts will point to Christ. I'll give you a short glimpse here now on how they point, but how does Passover point to Christ? When you slay the Passover lamb, you're modeling in the law what will happen to Christ. So it's a symbol, it's a sign, it's a type that points to Christ. And this will happen in the month of Abib, on their calendar. For you came on the month of Abib. Why is that? For that is when you came out of Egypt, and none of you shall appear before me empty-handed, and you shall observe the Feast of the Harvest. Now, this may not sound familiar to us, but let's give some synonyms for this that may start to sound familiar. So, Feast of Harvest is the same as the Feast of Weeks. It's the same as the Feast of first fruits. Which is the same as Pentecost. And so now you see, not only will they observe this feast of first fruits, with which the first fruits of your labor from which you sowed in your field will go to the Lord. How does Christ fulfill that? Remember in Acts 2, what happens in Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes down and does what? It gives us the first fruits of what will happen to us all. We receive the Holy Spirit and we enter into a process called sanctification. And that deposit is showing us what will happen one day when we not only will be free, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power and the presence of sin. And we will get the full harvest in this last feast, which is called the Feast of the end gathering, And this is the only one that we haven't fulfilled yet as the church. But the Feast of the end gathering, or another word for that, you may be familiar with this, is the Feast of Booths. And it happens at the end of the year. Once you gather your first fruit ends from your field, so your Feast of Harvest or First Fruits or Weeks is your initial harvest, and your Feast of Ingathering is your final harvest. And God says, three times a year you shall appear before me. We're going to learn about more festivals and feasts as we go but we have to get these down. These are our three main feasts. And another thing we must pick up here, the theology that God starts to build in the law. Look at what he says in verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with living bread. Why does God start to build theology and language around blood? You got to think about this because God says, I'm going to do something with blood. Like blood is going to become very significant. So you all pay attention to blood I treat blood seriously I make you more careful around it because I'm trying to get you to think about something that's going to happen and so nothing God does is unintentional even the point here in verse 18 it says nor the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning and we'll notice later in Leviticus 3:16 it says the fat belongs to the Lord and the first fruits belong to the Lord why is that because back then the fat was the most important part of the meat and the lord said that belongs to me and some people can even sympathize with this noun i know people in my culture that loves the fat and and they say the best part of the meat is around the fat and people always pick on me because i don't eat the fat and so many people love this so A lot of people even in the South can sympathize with why the Lord wants the fat. Some people agree with this, even in how they eat today. But praise the Lord, we're not under this old covenant in a way where the fat doesn't belong to the Lord and they can enjoy that. So I'm thankful my brothers and sisters get to enjoy that. And God wraps up this covenant saying he will send hornets ahead of them to drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. And he says, when you get over there, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the great Euphrates. And in verse 32, he says, you shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. This is key. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And this is the key. Some people like to say, why did God make it wrong for Israel to intermarry and not to go outside of their tribe? And some people want to take their minds toward the thoughts of racism and discrimination and that's not it. That is absolutely the farthest from the truth. That is not what God wanted to get at. Otherwise, he wouldn't have allowed Moses to marry who he married. The point is, if you start going after these foreign nations, they're going to start driving you to their foreign gods, and they will become a snare to you and a stumbling block, and they will cause you to sin against me. And so this sets us up for chapter 24. We know that Israel has their purpose now. God has taught them. He's given them a suzerain vassal treaty, just like they did in the ancient land. But he says, look, I'm not capricious like the other gods. I will love you. You will be my prized possession. I have chose you out of the nations. I could have done this with anybody, but I've set my affections on you. Even in Deuteronomy, he will say, I could have did this with any nation, nations that were bigger than you. I chose you, the smaller people. And this proves that it was nothing in you. It was me who chose you to love you. And so God sent his affections on these people and they're excited, they're really excited. They know that God is ready for them to make an international impact. God intends to take them toward rest. These are his people, he's giving them the 10, and he's starting to flesh out the 10 on how they are to operate in it. And they're learning not only the moral commands of God, but the preferential commands of God. I heard it put like this, if you're going on a date with somebody, And they tell you, I like steak, and you get them fish, that is disrespectful. Like, you didn't respect their preference. How much more a God, king, who gives his preferences. Like, for instance, we'll see something that I didn't read this. It says, you're not to boil a young goat in his mother's milk. And a lot of commentators try to deal with this, and it's very hard to explain. But the best way to explain it is, this is God's preference. You do what your king loves because you love your king. Maybe this was a Canaanite ritual that he didn't want the people associating with. But at the bottom line, this is the one you love's preference. If he says he likes steak, you get him steak. And this is an issue of love. This is not an issue of being technical, trying to figure out, well, why he say that? Why he say, don't oh, do that and do this? Just follow the one you love, and he promises to take care of you. In chapter 24, there's a consummation of the Mosaic Covenant. And we got the Mosaic Covenant from chapters 19 to 24. That's what we've been covering. And look at what it says in verse 7. It says, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said this, look at what they say. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What is that? That's buy-in, ladies and gentlemen. They agree. They're excited about this. They're, they like where they're going. They love the Lord that they serve. They see how powerful he is. You've seen grumbling and complaining amidst along the way. There are stretch fractures in the infrastructure. But this is where we are now. They say, and we will be obedient. But look at what Moses does after this. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. So why did they take these bowls of blood and sprinkle them on the people? You remember what happened with Abraham when he was asleep? The animal was cut in half, and the covenant meant what happened to these animals would happen to us if we violate the covenant. That's what they're saying in this covenant. We're pouring the blood on us. They're buying in. They're saying, we like this deal. In fact, we're in and they're pouring blood on us to say, this will happen to us if we don't keep this covenant. What is the this? Death, death. God, kill us if we don't obey you because we are all in to serve you. And something amazing happens. In in chapter 9, it says, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw The God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the Son of Israel, and they saw God and they ate and drank. What do you have here? No man could see God and live. We know that. And so what is this? This is a manifestation of God, just like in the burning bush, just like the pillar cloud by day. And the fire by night, just like the angel of the Lord, we get another theophany. And I believe a Christophany of God, the pre-incarnate Christ, with his people, taking care of his people in the wilderness, the Christ who knows that one day he will have to go in this same wilderness because Israel will fail and he will have to take care of what they cannot He is the true King that we'll look forward to today. And He didn't just show up in a manger. He has been here for all of eternity. He was with the Trinity and they were perfectly satisfied within each other. And they decided to create humanity. And now Christ has decided to reconcile humanity back to God. And He is not starting in Matthew. He is starting right here in Exodus. Stay tuned guys. We'll pick up next time.